I'm Delene Allen, the networking queen. I love to connect people. There is nothing more wonderful than the human connection. The connection that can lead to incredible things, to love, to business, to make our lives just so much richer, meeting and connecting on a deeper level than, hi, here's my business card but making those human connections that can take you to magical places. Stay tuned for network equals net worth. I wanna hear your stories. I wanna share your stories. Good afternoon, my name's Delene Allen and you're listening to Network Equals Net Worth podcast. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Alan Pink. He got involved with commercial leasing in 2006 while working for a large travel agency network with over 100 locations from coast to coast. This network grew rapidly and Alan began dealing directly with many of the major landlords in Canada or one of the commercial leasing agencies that the landlord hired to lease their space. It soon became very apparent that while the commercial leasing agent said they were working for the tenant as well as the landlord, their loyalty really was to the landlord, and I suppose rightly so, by the landlord. This was when Alan realized that no one was really working solely for the tenant and a definite void existed. And I'm here to tell you, when I first signed my first commercial lease, boy, I wish I'd known you, Alan, because it's, it's a lot of mumbo jumbo. So when COVID decimated the travel industry, Alan needed something to do. So he decided to start his own lease consulting company that works only for the tenants. He puts his 15 years of experience to work helping small to mid-sized tenants negotiate their commercial leases, something needed to help them, and that person was Alan. There is so much more to a lease than just the monthly rent. It's important to know exactly what's in the lease because it's a commitment of three, five, ten years or longer, and it can change. So Alan Pink, you are definitely needed in the marketplace today. But I always love to start back to the beginning. You were uh, the offspring of entrepreneurial parents, weren't you? Yes, I was. I, um, I grew up in Yarmouth. Uh, my father was a sweater manufacturer for many years. Uh, back in the mid-60s, he was one of the first ones to come out with a sweater with the pictures of, with the pictures of four Beatles on the front. And um, I wasn't working with him then, but then in 1975, when I was completing my um, few years at Dalhousie, he had moved from the sweater business to the newspaper business. So I started working with him selling advertising, and, as I say, in 1975. And my territory was basically the three maritime provinces in the state of Maine. We had a tourist paper that covered the state of Maine. So it was really, really interesting. And I got to meet a lot of people. And networking. So your Rolodex, and boy, you had to have been brave. So cold calls were involved, knocking on doors. Tell me about that, uh, that one day when you were in Maine and how many doors you knocked on. Well, cold calling is something that you really need to get used to. It's a bit intimidating at the beginning. Once you get used to it and you're comfortable with it, it's actually quite fun. You meet a lot of nice people, a lot of different people. But I, would, I was in Maine, as you said, uh, selling advertising for a tourist publication called The Viking. And uh, because there was always a connection between Maine and the three maritime provinces, that's why I was there. And that's why it was called The Viking. And um, 
So I took the boat from Yarmouth to Bar Harbor. And then my task the next day was to go to motels and restaurants, anything tourist related from the Bar Harbor, from, from Bar Harbor to Ellsworth, which is probably about a half an hour, 45 minutes by car. And there are a number of tourist uh, attractions and places along the way. And uh, I started out that morning. I must have made about 15 stops and I had zero to show for it at the end of the day. So it was a bit discouraging. So I was sitting in my hotel room or motel room that night. And I thought, well, and I was in Ellsworth. So um, I thought, well, there wasn't much to show for it that day. The next morning I started off again early. I left Ellsworth and I was working my way south in Maine. I probably made 15 or 20 calls again, personal, you know, visit, visits. And I think I sold an ad to every place I was, I, I stopped into. So it really uh, changed my perspective on things from 24 hours a day before when I was down in the dumps, not selling anything. And I thought, well, this isn't a very good introduction to the state of Maine, but um, it rapidly changed. And I actually worked my way down to um, Old Orchard Beach, which is just south of uh, Portland. Yeah. That was the end of my territory. So I spent a week in Maine from starting in Bar Harbor in the northern part or the northern part where I started there and worked my way down to um, um, Old Orchard. And then I took the boat. At that time, there were two ferries a day from Portland to Yarmouth. So I took the Blue Nose on the way over, as I mentioned, and I took the Prince of Fundy or Scotia Prince, I can't remember what it was called at that time, from Portland back to Yarmouth. And uh, by all accounts, it was a really, really, really successful trip. So it shows wow. you that starting out on the wrong foot, it, it didn't it didn't deter me from the rest of the week because it, exactly. it turned, out to be, turned out to be a very good trip. Well, and, and here's the thing. If you sometimes evaluate, you can have a bad day, but if you get up and do it again and persevere or, or try a slightly different approach, guess what happens? And yeah. so like anything else, we got to play the numbers, don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> don't we, yeah. Alan? And yeah. so uh, then your dad sold the, the newspaper industry and your career took another turn. He sold it, I think it was in 1975. I stayed on for four years selling advertising for the tourist paper, plus some weeklies that we had and some TV guides that he started throughout the Maritimes. Uh, and then in 1979, he had a chance to buy into a travel agency. So that started off, I didn't know it at the time, but that was going to start off a 41-year career. Um, so we had our own travel agency from 1979 to 1999. It was then sold um, after a very successful uh, run at it. It was sold to a gentleman from New Brunswick, and then he sold it in 2005 to maritime travel. So that's where I was for the last, and then that's, that was my first step into leasing in, in 2006, actually. I got involved with leasing with them, so. Well, but it wasn't just leasing. You had three, three things with that job. Tell us about all three. <clears throat> yes, actually, that's true. Uh, I started off by having 29 branches uh, that I was responsible for in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and PEI. Um, I had about 50 or 60 uh, travel agents that directly reported to me. That was interesting. Uh, the other thing I did, which was a really neat experience, the travel agents um, go on what we call familiarization, familiarization trips or FAM trips for short. So my goal was to get between 150 and 200 travel agents a, a, a year 
on these particular trips. And the purpose of them was so they could come back and better be more familiar with them so they could sell them to clients. So I did any, I put trips together anywhere from simple things like Florida, Dominican Republic, to um, Mount Everest, Fiji, Tahiti, uh, uh, all over South America, the Amazon, uh, even the Northwest, Ter Northwest Territories, uh, Russia, you name it. You can spin the globe around, put your finger on a spot. And I, we were probably there. And as I say, the purpose of it was so the travel agents could learn how to sell the, the these places to their clients. It wasn't the, the travel agents paid a portion of the trip to go, but uh, it wasn't just a free vacation for them. It was the purpose of it was for them to learn about these destinations, and it, and it was a very 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 beneficial thing because clients like to talk to somebody that's been there. Exactly. And, uh, oh yeah. So it, it turned out to be really interesting. That was probably one of the most interesting facets being in the travel business because there was a lot of satisfaction when 20 or 25 or 30 people came back from a destination and you got to see their pictures uh facebook and things like that so it was it was really good really really fascinating excellent excellent and then you got into leasing and that must have been in itself like a different world alan that was a real learning curve because as you stated earlier I picked up on the fact very, very soon doing it. I did it for 15 years that, um, and I was on the tenant side of it. So it didn't take me very long to realize, well, who's really out there giving 100% of what they do to the tenant? And commercial leasing agents have a very important role in the process of commercial leasing. But when it came time to actually negotiate not 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 just review a lease but negotiate the lease for the tenant that's where i realized there was something missing and um so i did that for 15 years um i dealt with landlords right across the country because we had travel agencies right from newfoundland right through to victoria bc so uh i knew a lot of the i got to deal with a lot of the major landlords um and and uh i learned a lot and I probably did, I would say probably over, probably maybe 200 leases overall. And then again, once COVID hit, as you know, the travel, the travel business came to kind of a screeching halt. And, um, but I needed to do something. I didn't want to sit around and do nothing. And that's when I realized, well, if I can help the tenant do what I needed help in, because I didn't have people to help me, that's, that's how I got involved in what I'm doing today. Excellent. Okay, we're going to take a Peter Corning from Bedford Commons Office, Allstate Insurance. Have you got toys? In addition to an auto and home coverage, he can also provide for your boat, classic car, RV, ATV, snowmobile, motorcycle, when you insure your home and auto with us. Working or retired, we offer group rates for many professions employers, military service, police, etc. So for all of those toys, and if you are in any of those professions, military, police, etc., call for special rates with Peter Corning at Allstate at the Bedford Commons office. So welcome back, Alan. And again, my name is Deline Allen. You're listening to Network equals Net Worth and Alan helps people when they're about to sign a lease 
So there's the owner of the building, Alan. There is the commercial leasing person. And there is a piece of paper that could be pages long, right? A stack of paper. And then tell us where you come into that and how it works. Well, it, it's, it's very easy. The only, when, when people see a building or a spot that they want to lease, their, let's say they want to open a dress shop or a shoe store or whatever it is, office doesn't make any difference. Um, in cities like Halifax or bigger locations, they'll usually see a landlord's name on the door or most often they'll see a commercial leasing company. Um, they, you, what, what happens is the, the tenant, the prospective tenant, usually we find is driving around, they see a place, they say, wow, this looks, this could be a good fit for me. So they wanna see the inside and get the details. That's where the commercial leasing agent or the landlord itself will come in. So they'll, they'll, they'll go through the build, they'll go through the spot, they'll say, well, this could work. They get the details um, about the rent and things like that um, from the landlord or commercial leasing agent. And that comes in the form of what we call an offer to lease or a proposal to lease. It's not a long document. It may be seven or eight pages long. It's, it describes like some of the more important clauses like the rent, how long the term is going to be, things like that. That is usually followed depending on the landlord by the formal lease. And the formal lease can be anywhere between 50 and 70 pages long. That's, yeah. a, that's a big document. So I should get involved, hopefully, when the, when the tenant receives the offer to lease right at the get-go. Before anything is signed, that's when I should get the call or an email and say, okay, I can use your services. What can you do for me? I then sit down. I get a copy of the offer to lease. I don't just review it to make sure things are legal. That's not the point. I review it to negotiate the clauses to make sure the clauses that are in there are important and they're, and they're in the client's, the tenant's best interest. There may be some clauses in there that I want removed because I don't think they should be there. And at the same token, there's probably clauses that should be there that I have a whole list of that aren't included. So it's a process to go through. And yeah. once we go back and forth with the landlord and we ultimately agree, hopefully we'll get a lower rent and we'll get the terms that are favorable to the tenant, that's my client. Then once that's signed, then, uh, as I say, the landlord usually follows that up with their formal lease, which is the long one, the 50 to 70 pages long. That takes a lot of time to go through. I go through it page by page and paragraph by paragraph to make sure nothing's, nothing's missed to make sure it's consistent with the offer that's already signed. Because sometimes the offer can say one thing, but the formal lease will say something that contradicts it. So it, it has to be gone through page by page and paragraph by paragraph. It's time consuming, but it has to be done right. And, and I can tell you for a fact that most small tenants, or doesn't make any difference the size of the tenant, most tenants don't want to read it. They'll probably look at the rent, make sure the rent is what they had agreed on. Um, when it starts, when it ends, how long it's for, and they'll sign it, and that's it. Uh, I, I go through from page one right to the end to make sure everything in between is in their best interest. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process, it takes time, but it has to be done. And right now, to my knowledge, at least there's very few people, I don't, know, I don't, don't really know of anybody that's out there that's really doing that. So that's why I say I'm filling a void. 
Exactly. Well, and, and here's what I remember. The first lease we would have signed was uh, you go through the, the leasing agent, you talk to the building owner, same thing. I don't think we tried to negotiate anything. You just sort of think, okay, well, this is it. So you're going to teach people things they didn't even know they needed and wanted to know. And then, then from there, they said, take it to your lawyer. And so you kind of take it to the lawyer and he kind of puts a stamp on it, but he's not doing what you're doing by paragraph page and so on, right? That's he just correct. makes sure that the jargon is legal. Absolutely. And the interesting part is most landlords aren't going to put clauses in a lease that aren't legal. <laughs> That's the ironic part about it. So a landlord, will, a lawyer will look at it very quickly. Um, he'll go over and say, this looks fine. He'll go back to the tenant or the client and say, okay, everything looks great. But that's the end of it. And interestingly enough, most lawyers don't even do that. I've actually gotten referrals from lawyers. Um, that's not really their field unless they, unless they get somebody, that's a lawyer that specifically, that's what they do. They specialize in that particular area. And those lawyers generally work for the large big corporate companies. They're not working for the person that wants to open up a small store in a strip plaza or things like that. And, um, and those, those smaller clients are the ones that don't want to pay out big money to have their lease reviewed. So I review it to make sure, as I said just a little while ago, to make sure that what's, what's there is correct and what's not there should be included in it to make sure at the end of the day it is correct. So lawyers aren't really the ones to do it if you want negotiating. And when clients look at it, what they first look at, as I mentioned, they look at the rent, they may have gotten, the, they may have negotiated the rent a little lower than what they started off with, but, and the rent's important, don't get me wrong, but there's so many more clauses that go in a commercial lease that even if you're a small client, and the last thing the client wants is a problem down the road, and the landlord doesn't want the problem either. So if, if you're, if you have a five-year lease and something comes up and three years down the road, you decide you have to sell for instance, you don't, want to, you don't want to read your lease and find out that you can't sell. Or that if there's a clause in there, usually landlords will put a clause in why they do it, I don't know. Well, I do know. They, they, a lot of times there'll be a clause in there that will state, if you decide you want to assign, you want to sell your business and you want to, you want to assign the lease, if the assignment is refused, very often the landlord has the right to cancel, to, to, to terminate the lease for the tenant. Well, I, I suspect that that's there because the landlord tries to discourage assignments because it's a lot of process. It's a big process to go through. I also do the assignments too and renewals. So once the original lease is done, again, let's say it's a five-year lease. When the when it comes time to renew it, if, if it's a five-year term, normally about a year before the lease is up, that's when we should start talking. I should be brought into the to the picture again to deal with that landlord to help them renegotiate their renewal. Because very often there are things in the renewal, renewal that you want included that may not be included if you just do it on your own. So it's important that I'm involved with that. It's also important that if you decide partway through your lease that you say, well, I've had a really good offer. I think that was a good time to sell. Then that's when the assignment comes in and I should be involved in that process too. So it's, very, it's, it's a simple process, but you need somebody that knows what they're doing and has exactly. the experience doing it. 
And so also maybe talk a little bit about what happens at renewal. Like you said, you know, some people only look at the renewal maybe a month or two before, but there can be a lot of variables that a landlord can now decide to you're in the building, right? Which knows he knows you likely don't want to move if your business is established there, but he can make some changes, can't he? There can be changes. It, it depends on, yes, to answer the question, the answer is yes. It depends on the way the original lease is worded because the renewal clause, if there is one, in most cases there is, that would be included in the original lease. And that's actually, to be honest with you, to, 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 re, to negotiate the actual renewal is important too. But one thing that it's worthwhile stressing is the renewal clause that's in the original lease should be carefully negotiated at that time because you can't change it. Like what's in the original lease, as far as the renewal clause goes, that's what's going to, you know, be in effect, you know, five years or 10 years down the road. But when you renew it, um, you may renew for, I mean, this is going to surprise some people, but often you can renew without an increase in rent. Most landlords are, if not all, all landlords are going to ask for an increase. Well, that's fine. And that's usually the way it works. And that's expected. The tenant expects that. But there can be cases, extenuating circumstances where the, the rent may actually not go up. And in fact, in certain cases, it can go down. Uh, if you're in a plaza, for instance, and there's 12 or 13 stores in a strip plaza, and that's anchored by a major store, if that major store, even though that major store was there when you signed the lease, that major store may not be there, or we call it a major tenant. That major tenant may not be there when it comes time to renew. So that could affect the number, the amount of foot traffic you get uh, in your own present, you know, your premises. So all these things have to be taken into consideration and how long you're going to renew for and all, all different kinds of things. So there's a lot that goes into it. So Excellent. But same thing, boy, um, like anything else, if you don't, be careful with the lease up front. It's usually in those things that you don't expand, expect, which is kind of like buying good insurance and being covered well, that when you're there, you really are like somebody's insurance policy that they're getting the best deal. They're getting all of the things that they didn't even think to negotiate. Um, maybe you could give me a typical one. Like if a, if, if a building says it provides parking, can it then suddenly charge for parking or change parking? Is that a typical that's a that's that's a very good one it actually happened to a client of mine um the she was in a plat she's in a plaza with about six or seven other stores um the the offer to lease said that parking will be provided the landlord will provide parking for the tenant and its customers one sentence that's all the landlord will provide parking for the tenant and its customers when the actual formal lease came in, and this is where you have to read it very carefully, the formal lease said that exact same sentence, but it was followed by another sentence that said, however, the landlord reserves the right to charge for this parking. Now, you know, if it's a small tenant, if they have five or six spots on a, if, on a normal day of the week, and the landlord wants to charge $100 a month per spot, that changes things. So uh, you have to be very careful. In the particular case that you brought up that happened to a client of mine and we got it removed from when the actual formal lease came in and it said the landlord can charge for parking, I had him remove it. 
And I said, no, you cannot put that in because it was not in the offer to lease. That's why um, it's very important in the offer to lease to make sure all the, what I call money clauses, all the money clauses are negotiated very, very carefully because you don't want anything to come back and surprise you down the road. And parking, as you know, anywhere can be expensive. And if you didn't count on it when you first signed the offer, you want to make sure it's not included in the uh, formal lease or in the renewal because there's nothing that sometimes a renewal document, again, depending on how the lease is written, the, the landlord has certain, can have certain rights and privileges to put things in the renewal, renewal document that weren't in the original lease. So you want to make sure that that's covered off when you first start the process. Exactly. So. Exactly. So that, that's, this is very interesting. So again, if you currently have a bricks and mortar store, if you have an actual location, look at your lease. When is it going to be renewed? Highly recommend that you chat with Alan Pink ahead of time, right? If, if you haven't rented your first space or you're looking for a new space, same thing. Um, Alan's price is phenomenal. His work is highly detailed and he knows his stuff. So same thing in the long run, the little extra, think of it kind of like a building inspector. In fact, I think you're a lot cheaper than a building inspector right. that, that you're going to be saving money in the long run and really know what you've signed and what you're due. Because again, when we signed our first commercial lease, we were babes in the woods, depending upon a lawyer and, and a, a commercial leasing person and the person who owned the building. And let me tell you, yeah, it's always interesting after the fact when you signed it. Not always quite the same thing, right, Alan? Absolutely. You can likely think, think of a few stories there. So any last minute comments? We are about networking, but when you think about this man and the connections he made, it is day-to-day -day practices is, is why he is successful because he could compare those leases from all those different companies and tell you what every different large leasing company, because you'd be surprised of how much Halifax is owned from places outside this city. Alan, is that right? Correct. And, and I, my one final word of wisdom would be, or words of wisdom would be, when a landlord um, comes up with the lease uh, for the tenant, it's obviously going to be in the landlord's best interest. And that's fair ball because he's the yeah, landlord. Yeah. He owns the build. They own the building. They have an investment in the building, you know, the expenses and all the rest of it. So that's fair ball. But the tenant needs somebody in their corner to negotiate on their behalf. And, and that's where I come in the picture. Exactly. So, yeah. so thank you so much. It was great talking to Alan Pink. Pleasure. What's the name of your company and phone number? Uh, Pink Tenant Lease Consulting. The phone number is 902-497-8509. Thanks so much for listening. Everybody's got a story. Love to hear yours. Uh, check on other podcasts for network equals net worth. Enjoy your day. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for listening. What you like best about today's conversations and the connections that lead to miraculous outcomes. Leave a review. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to share your story too. So why not touch base with Delene Allen on Instagram and we'll keep the conversations going.